Did you know that within a decade, women will hold $30 trillion in investable assets? Yet somehow, only 19% of women reported feeling confident in selecting investments that align with their long-term goals. Our friends at InvestHer are out to change that. InvestHer Con is the number one premier conference for women in real estate, and it's happening June 2nd through the 4th in Austin, Texas. InvestHerCon is not just another real estate conference. It's a transformational experience focused on real estate investing, business strategies, and self-care tactics, all designed to help women take control of their financial futures. Gain the knowledge and skills you need to grow your portfolio and build a sustainable business, all while connecting with over 500 women who are playing at the same level. To learn more and to get your tickets, visit InvestHerCon.com today and use the code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. That's InvestHer, H-E-R, Con.com, promo code 100BESTEVER to get $100 off your ticket. So it likely won't have the type of returns that you could get if you were to buy a 30 unit, but from a risk mitigation standpoint relative to returns... I believe that's the best approach. Best ever listeners, before we jump into today's episode, got two questions for you, and this is for my fix and flippers out there. One, are your financing costs eating away at your bottom line? And two, are you looking for a way to increase your overall profits by reducing your loan payments to the bank or private lender? Of course you are, right? You're always looking to maximize the potential of your deal. So here's a solution. We got a solution for you through the crowdfunding platform, Patch of Land. If you're a loyal Best Ever listener, you know Patch of Land. They've been on the show many times. They've sponsored the show many times. They're back for more because they love you. They want to help you out. They want to add value to your life. And here's how they're going to do it. They have a solution to your financing issue of financing costs eating away from your bottom line. And they want to help you reduce your loan payment to the bank. So here we go. Patch of Land offers a fix and flip loan program that only charges interest on the funds that have been dispersed as opposed to the traditional model of lenders charging interest on the whole loan amount at the beginning. You save a lot of money this way, and it can be misleading when you get your terms quoted to you by the lender at a particular rate if they charge all the interest up front versus upon distribution. Patch of Land's got a document that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper to educate yourself on questions you should ask the lender. Regardless if you go with Patch of Land, you've got to get this document to educate yourself on the questions to ask your lender to make sure you're getting the best financing terms. The document's at patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. That's patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Patch of Land, they can close in as little as seven days and they can help you through this program save thousands of dollars on your deals, make more money, and uh, have a better business and grow your fix and flip business. So go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Best ever listeners, how you doing? Welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast. We only talk about the best advice ever. We don't get into any of that fluffy stuff. We're doing follow along Friday today. We're going to be talking about the pros and cons and the thought process for active versus passive investing. And as I mentioned before we started recording this episode, this is not only for accredited investors and sophisticated investors who are considering passive versus active investing. This is also for 
apartment syndicators and fix and flippers who work with private investors who will most likely get this question. And that is, well, I'm considering passive versus active investing. What are your thoughts? So we're going to talk about that and any other miscellaneous things. Theo is joining us from Florida and we're going to dive right in. So what's the best approach, my friend? This topic actually came up from a question you got on bigger pockets. And basically this individual is looking to make $10,000 per month within the next five years through some sort of investing. And he has about $250,000 in cash right now to work with. And he is kind of going back and forth between three different options. One is to invest by himself or not necessarily by himself, but with his own team and basically invest that $250,000 into a 20 to 30 unit building and hire a property management company to do the operation. So that would be the active investing side. The second option is also active. It's basically the same approach, but with single family rentals instead. And then the third option would be to go the passive investing route. So try to find an apartment syndicator and invest money in their deal and make the preferred return that they are offering. And then an additional thing that he said as to why he was on the fence of whether or not to do the active investing route is because of someone told him that if you are going to do active investing for a multifamily, it only makes sense to do something over, he said, 70 units, just because, again, this person told him that the amount of effort that goes into managing and operating a 20 to 30 unit compared to the returns you get is not worth it. So that's kind of why he was having issues asking questions. And so what we did is we put together a list of all the pros and cons of passive versus active investing. And we're going to go over that today. Cool. Well, you got the list in front of you. I don't have the list in front of me. So I'm just going to talk about it. And then if there's anything that I don't address, then feel free to fill in the blanks. I think there are a lot of best ever listeners who will disagree with the third part of that in that it doesn't make sense from a financial standpoint to buy less than 70 units. I know that because I've interviewed a lot of people who have purchased apartment buildings less than 70 units and they've made a lot of money and relative to the amount of money that they invested. So let's unpack this a little bit. We're working with, in this scenario, $250,000. And the goal is $10,000 a month within a five-year time frame. Well, if this individual were to passively invest in a deal, then the preferred return most likely will be 8%. Well, that is just a preferred return. That's $1,666 a month. Nowhere close to the 10000 that this individual is looking at for a five-year time frame. Now, that's the preferred return. I'd say perhaps the annualized returns would be north of 20% after the sale of the property is complete if they were to invest passively in the syndication. So when you annualize that, that's $4,166. So assuming that the syndicator hits the projections, then that's $4,166 annualized return over those five years. So almost half of what this individual is looking for. And if they were to reach their goal, then 
it would be, well, more than a 40% annualized return over five years to reach their $10,000 a month goal. That's incredible. It is unlikely that you're going to come across an opportunity to passively invest in a deal that is projecting to reach over 40% annualized return. They very well might hit it. And in fact, we have a deal or two, actually our very first one, we've had the longest, that has generated almost 60% in about two and a half years total return. So we haven't even reached that. It was about 30% annualized. But there certainly are opportunities to get 40% return, but you're probably never going to invest in a deal that is projecting that because it's way too high of a projection and you're going to think something's majorly wrong with it. So let's just move that off the table. You're not going to get a projected return of what you're looking for through passively investing. You might actually get it with the deal, but most likely no one will project that. And if they do, you're not going to want to invest because it's too high. So then the second part is the single family homes. And I'm not a believer of buying single family homes and buying them in bulk and continuing to try and scale. The reason why I'm not is because every transaction is a lot of effort and you have to get a lot of homes in order to really see some cash flow come in so that your vacancies don't negate the amount of cash flow that's coming in. So I'm not even going to talk about the single family home trying to get to 10000 a month passive income with $250,000. The way you could do it is you buy a bunch of value-add deals and then increase the value through the fixing them up and then selling them, doing cash out refinances. I just don't see that happening in five years. Uh, that'd be very challenging. But I'm sure I've interviewed someone on the show who has done it and there's probably a couple best ever listeners. Like I could do it or I have done it with $250,000 or less and I got the 10,000 cash flow. The third is the buying your own apartment building. And if you have this type of aggressive goal, starting with $250,000, wanting $10,000 monthly cash flow, and you need over 40% annualized return, then that's the approach I would take if I were you, because that gives you the opportunity to buy a value-add apartment building, implement the business plan, and then do a cash-out refinance or get a supplemental loan, whatever you need to do, and then get your money back out and then put it into something else or sell it and then 1031 into something else in two years so that you've basically doubled in size or almost doubled in size within the five-year frame. That's possible. And that's your very reasonable scenario. However, there's a catch. And the catch is that there's more risk involved. The reason why there's more risk is that you're starting a business and anytime you start a new business, whether it's real estate or you're selling paper clips on the street, there's a learning curve and you've got to figure out the right process. You've got to figure out the right team members. You've got to figure out what you're good at, what you're not good at. And if you don't know exactly what you're good at and what you're not good at, as it relates to buying and managing apartment building, 
then you're going to find out and it's going to cost you money when you find out. So there's, in my opinion, more risk involved with buying your own and taking the value-add approach because we're not just buying a stabilized property in this scenario. We're buying a value-add deal. So not only is there risk with just buying a building, but there's risk in implementing a business plan that adds value to a property and then increases the rent. So you've got to watch your occupancy. You've got to watch where your rents are relative to the premiums you projected. You've got to watch your construction crew. You've got to watch your property management company if it's not the same company. So there's a lot of different variables in play and there's a lot more opportunity for you to lose money. But the question wasn't, what is the best investment for me? The statement was, I want to maximize our cash flow. Well, actually, it did say, I want to maximize cash flow while keeping our risk and headaches to a minimum. Well, in that case, I recommend the syndicated approach because they are plugging into a system that has already been established. They're basically investing in a business that has already shown that it has a track record. So it likely won't have the type of returns that you could get if you were to buy a 30 unit. But from a risk mitigation standpoint relative to returns, I believe that's the best approach. But if you are purely looking for the most money and you're okay with more risk and more time involved, then I believe buying a 30 unit or a 40, 50 unit, whatever you can buy with the 250 while having operating capital and reserves to then do the CapEx projects and then still have money to cover the mortgage should unexpected dip in occupancy happen, then I recommend buying 30 unit if you're okay with greater risk. Yeah, and in this particular situation, the initial starting capital is going to be very difficult to reach that $10,000 per month in that five-year time frame. So I'm assuming that he, I'm just going to make an assumption here that he is doing something else, some sort of full-time job. That's how he got that capital. And so his time is something else he has to take into account. And you kind of already mentioned this, but with the passive approach, there's a significantly lower time investment than the active side. And if he needs to work his other job to make more capital to invest more, then will he be making more money by continuing to work his full-time job? Or will he make more money by spending his entire time building up his team and his business to even finding a deal, raising the capital if he needs to, to actually purchase a property. So that's something else that wasn't necessarily mentioned in his question, but if he does have a 40-hour week job, is it even possible? Do you even have the time to, to buy your own property? Good point. And the answer is you do have time to do it because other people have done it. But is it that much of a priority? Because the other people who have done it with a full-time job, they've prioritized it in their life. We all have the same amount of hours in the day. So how much of a priority is this Mm -hmm. over the other things that you've got going on your full-time job, family, if you've got a family, wife, husband, kids, grandparents, whatever, whoever your family is, dog, fiance, how do you prioritize things in your life and where does this stack up? And then that will dictate the amount of time that you spend towards it because there is a significant amount of time, especially on your first couple, 20, 30 units, if that's what you're starting out with after your single families, there's a learning curve there and there's a significant amount of time involved because that is assuming that you have a good property management company. Mm. If you have a bad property management company, then 
it's a full court press on your time. To summarize, there's more risk, but potential for greater returns, in my opinion, if you do it by yourself. There is less risk, in my opinion, and less returns, but still good returns if you invest passively in a syndication. And I wouldn't scale with single families. I just wouldn't do that. And then one extra pro for the passive investing strategies that you are plugging into a built-in system and don't have to create the foundation of your business, finding the right property management company, finding the deal, evaluating the markets, underwriting the deals. Whereas for active, you have to do that, but then you get the pros that you just mentioned. One extra thing that I would mention is for this particular case, and I'm sure he does this, but it's something you talk about a lot. And if you kind of read through what he said, he's got his, his specific goal to be accomplished at a specific time. But something else that you talk about is why does he want to accomplish this goal? And that might help him with that prioritization that you were talking about. If his goal is to get $10,000 in a five-year time frame because he wants to leave his job and spend time with his family, or if he just want it for other reasons, that will kind of come into play too here and determine how high the priority is. Is he going to spend 40 hours a week for the next five years reaching that goal? Or is something that's not as important and he can reach it in 10 years or 15 years? That's something else that I would say too. Speaking to apartment syndicators and fix and flippers right now who bring in investors to partner with them, When you get this question, it's so important to think about it from the accredited investor standpoint. Who cares what you as a fix and flipper or syndicator want? Doesn't matter. It's about putting yourself in the accredited investor's shoes and truly thinking about what makes the most sense for him or her and going at it as objectively as you can, which is what I did. I went at this as objectively as I can and lay out the pros and cons as you see them. Because when you do that, people respect you for thinking about it as objectively as you can. You're always going to be biased in some form or fashion in anything in life, in my opinion. But as objectively as you can, because when you do, then they know that you've got the best intentions and you're really thinking about versus trying to say, hey, you should definitely invest in a syndication or in my fix and flip. And here's why you don't want to do that other stuff because X, Y, Z. And that not only is for this question, but any type of question, thinking about it from the other person's perspective and truly tackling it based on what their objectives are and what they're looking to do. One question that will really help determine the approach you take is just simply ask them, Well, do you want to be active or passive? How much time do you want to spend towards this? Because then it can be a very quick conversation. I, I don't want to be as active. Well, then passive investing, investing in the syndication would be the better approach or partnering with someone on a joint venture deal where they do most of the work, but you still have some responsibility. Yeah, good advice. Cool. So that wraps up the conversation on on pros and cons of active versus passive investing. So any business updates for the past week, Joe? Well, I just want to mention one thing that we've been emailing back and forth. You and our team members have been emailing back and forth. And it was a inquiry from a student 
who had asked, I'll read it. This is his follow-up email. Good morning. My name is blah, blah. I recently tried to contact you and your team regarding me working for you for free. I would love to come and work for you and the team and learn from the best there is out there. I'm sure you are extremely busy, but if you get a chance, please contact me. And this person contacted us about a week ago, and we've been trying to decide amongst ourselves, a team, what to do with this. And then this person followed up again because they're persistent and they are wanting to come work for me for free. Well, my suggestion to anyone who is looking to work for someone and really add value to their life and maybe it's an influencer or I'm not saying I am, but maybe it's an influencer that you want to reach out to or maybe it's someone who's playing at a higher level. I think this person, if I can remember correctly, who reached out to us is a college student. Mm -hmm. Yes, okay, college student. My suggestion is instead of saying, I would like to work for you for free, take it one more level and identify what you believe their needs are and say in your message, I would like to help you with X, Y, Z, and even better, I've put together a plan already and here's a link to download it via Dropbox or just shoot me an email and I'll be happy to send it to you. Because what's happened in the background after this person reached out to us is one, I don't know what they can do because I don't know their skill sets. Two, I don't have a specific need that's glaring. Otherwise, I would have already filled that need. And three, working for free for me isn't as much of a value add as it used to be because my time's more important than money and they are wanting to shadow me and and do some other things. So while the intentions are really good, I'm giving this person props for putting themselves out there. That's why I'm not mentioning their name. I give you props for putting yourself out there and I will be reaching out to you or my team will be reaching out to you. So we're going to follow up with you. And I sincerely appreciate the flattering comments as well. My suggestion for you and for anyone else who's listening who does this for someone else, bring more value to the initial message than work for free because it's likely that if you are reaching out to someone that is playing at a higher level, working for free might not be the value that they're looking for their business. But if you give them some specific examples of how you'll do it and how you've already started doing it, then that might generate something, some sort of partnership or something. You'll have a higher likelihood of success. That reminds me of, I can't remember who it was, but it was a high level real estate agent and might've been the Playboy Mansion that he was trying to get the listing for. And instead of kind of just going in there and showing up, and trying to get the listing, having no foundation, done nothing before. He already had the entire marketing package created before he even tried to get the listing and was so proactive that that was one of the reasons why he was able to list the property. That story right there kind of reminded me of what you're talking about. Because, yeah, if you kind of go in there and have already done all the work already, of course you're not going to be able to say no to that because everything's already done. And that, as you said, you know, once you get to a certain level, time is way more important than money. So if you've already got most of the work done already, then you can start right away instead of having to wait a couple of weeks or a couple of months, especially if you actually have 
an actual need. Like in that situation, they needed to sell their property. And I'm sure with the property that big, it probably costs an arm and a leg each month or each week to, to maintain that property. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. In the episode you're referencing is episode 981 titled How He Controls 17% of Los Angeles Market Share. It's Mauricio Umansky, and oh, he's Mauricio. the CEO and founder of the agency, which is Luxury Real Estate Brokerage. So episode 981. And again, the individual who reached out, props to you for putting yourself out there and props to you for being generous enough to offer to donate your time because time's the most precious resource any of us have. So I sincerely am grateful for that. And this is a way to enhance the message that you send to other people in the future so that you can have a higher success rate. But either way, we're going to be reaching out to you and we're talking to you. So either way, we'll follow up with you. And then that can be beneficial for everyone else too. What about you, Theo? What do you got? Business-wise, we're just trying to settle in here before we start purchasing any more properties. We've got enough to buy one, but I think in a few months after my wife gets a bonus from work, we'll be able to buy two properties. And so at that point, in about a month from now, I'm going to actually start actively pursuing some leads. I just didn't realize how much time and how much money it would cost to actually move. So we're kind of waiting for all that to settle so that we don't have to live in like a barren house for months on end. But in Tampa, did the 17-hour drive after a crazy snowstorm in Cincinnati. So that was fun. My parents were nice enough to come down to drive. And my dad drove the U-Haul truck the entire way because I was just sick to my stomach thinking about driving that U-Haul and tugging a car for 17 hours straight. But besides that, nothing anyone on my end. Property management company, still great. and It's still amazing. We were having that active versus passive conversation. I was just thinking of how... Compared to what I was doing before, I feel like what I'm doing now is passive investing. And there's another pro of passive investing that allows you to open your mind up to higher level strategy, depending on what kind of thinker you are and your personality type. But at least for me, when I'm stuck in the weeds and kind of doing the day-to-day maintenance stuff, it takes a lot away from my ability to strategize long-term. Obviously, if you can do both, that's great. But if you can't, or you find that you don't have the ability to strategize a long term. It might be because you're spending a lot of time boots on the ground actually doing the day-to-day management and it might actually be better and more effective for you long term to spend that extra 6 to 10% on a property management company because you'll make that back and you won't have to. Similar to the way you felt when you're doing your bookkeeping is how I felt when I was doing the property management. So, <laughs> Yeah, bookkeeping it can create health issues <laughs> if you're not a bookkeeper. Yes. And I saw myself going down that same path. I did not want to do that. So, yep, I agree. Cool. And the conference that we got going on in Denver, best ever conference, it's going to be sold out in, I'd say, two and a half weeks or so. If that, it definitely will be sold out. So, if you want to go, then go to besteverconference.com and go get your ticket. If you want to learn more about it, then go to besteverconference.com. Looking forward to meeting everyone there. Uh, And then also make sure you guys check out the Best Ever Show Facebook community. I know that we're, you know, obviously we try to answer your guys' questions on here once a week, but if you have any other questions related to anything talked about on the show or just any kind of real estate related question in general, you can post it on there and one of us or someone else in the community will answer that a lot faster. And then just the overall just engagement on there, that's also great for your business. 
So that's best ever show community on Facebook. And then lastly, we will do our review of the week. This week is from Hunts and Fish. So I'm assuming it's a a hunter. (laughs) And the title is Joe is a Go-Giver, based off of the, I'm assuming, the Go-Giver book. Bob Berg. Bob Berg. And he or she, because she could be a female hunter, says, I can't say enough good things about this podcast. Joe is a highly successful investor who brings his listeners massive value daily, in all caps. The thing I love most is how much actionable content the podcast provides that I can immediately apply to my business. If you're a real estate investor and you're interested in getting the knowledge to bridge the gap into multifamily and or syndication, you have to listen to this podcast. Oh, well, thank you so much. And I really appreciate that. And if anyone who hasn't given a review would like to help grow this community and help us continue to bring on high quality guests, then please leave a review in iTunes. That's how potential guests, that's one of the things they look at and they read these reviews. So sincerely grateful for that comment. And best ever listeners, thank you for hanging out with us today and we will talk to you tomorrow. Today's sponsor, Patch of Land, has got the document for you that you've got to check out if you're a fix and flipper. They show you how a higher interest rate can actually deliver a lower cost to your fix and flip loan and conversely, how a lower interest rate could deliver a higher cost to your fix and flip loan. Needless to say, you got to know this stuff to identify the best loan terms. Go to patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. Get this document, patchofland.com forward slash Joe Fairless. When it's Friday at 4.30 p.m., it's time for Entrepreneur Drinks Podcast, which is co-produced by Joint Ops Properties and Discount Property Investors. Join their end-of-the-work week session as they tackle problems facing entrepreneurs. Listen and subscribe at entrepreneurdrinks.com. That's entrepreneurdrinks.com.